You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to episode 86 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And once again this week, we begin with a number of articles relating to coronavirus COVID-19, which continues its pandemic around the world. If you have any questions or issues about GDPR and COVID-19, and how one affects the other, then can I suggest that as a first step you listen back to episodes 82, 83, 84 and 85 of the GDPR Weekly Show where we've covered the subject in some depth including a number of frequently asked questions from our listeners and so hopefully you'll find the answer there to any questions that you may have. If you still have a question after that, then please do feel free to drop us an email to corona, C-O-R-O-N-A, at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, and we'll gladly pick up your question and do our best to answer it for you in an upcoming episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. So back to this week's episode, and we begin with news from the ICO that they have decided to defer the penalties payable by British Airways and Marriott whilst the coronavirus situation is underway, given the impact that coronavirus has had on the revenues of both of those companies. But the ICO is keen to stress that the payments are deferred and not cancelled. We then have news that GP, General Practitioner Practices across the UK, have been asked to share coronavirus patient data with the UK Biobank to aid research into a possible vaccine for coronavirus COVID-19. Following on from an article last week, we then have news that the EU Commission is calling for common standards for COVID-19 apps to ensure data sharing compatibility across the EU. We then have news that Hammersmith Medicines Research, a company which is looking at a vaccine for the coronavirus, has itself suffered a data breach. We then had results of a survey from a company called Privacy Affairs, who've been looking at the level of penalties raised by different ICOs across Europe for GDPR offences. And it's quite interesting to see the range of penalties that have been imposed. We then have the results of a Cabinet Office review into the New Year's Honours List data breach. We then have news of a data breach at SOS Online Backup. And finally this week we have a story from the Wall Street Journal that Travelex paid the ransomware group involved in the attack on Travelex earlier this year that they've paid them a ransom of $2.3 million. So, as always, a good mix of articles this week in the GDPR Weekly Show. hope you find something there which is useful and informative. As always, if you have any feedback on the show, please do drop us an email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, We do read every piece of feedback that you send us and thank you for the kind messages that you've been sending us about our coverage of the Top ID 19 situation. But we welcome feedback on any subject or indeed any suggestions that you have for future articles that you'd like to see included in the GDPR Weekly Show. 
Please be assured that we do read every piece of feedback that we receive, but unfortunately due to the volume we receive, we don't have time to reply to each piece of feedback individually. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We begin this week with news that the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has once again deferred the massive GDPR fines issued to British Airways and Marriott International some nine months ago. The fines relating to data breaches that occurred during 2018 are not insignificant in nature. If you remember, British Airways was fined £183 million and Marriott International was fined £99 million. And of course, as we both news to you last week in episode 85 of the GDPR weekly show was that um, Marriott International has now had a second significant data breach which is currently being investigated. Now automatically the ICO has a six month period following the statement of intent to actually issue the penalty notice to demand payment and so it's already been deferred in these cases by a further three months in January. However the COVID-19 pandemic has somewhat slowed the regulatory process and it's also recognised of course that at the present time both British Airways and Marriott Hotels are suffering financially as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and so it was not felt appropriate by the ICO to impose the penalties at this time but instead to defer them. Um, It's deferred them initially for some three months and we wait and see what happens by then as to whether the COVID-19 situation is any more resolved. Presumably if it is, then they'll press ahead with these penalties. If it isn't, then they presumably will extend the deferment. But generally, it's been recognised that the ISO is probably taking the right and most fair approach, given the extraordinary circumstances in which we all find ourselves at the moment. The ISO, for their part, wish to make clear that it is a postponement. It's not a wiping out. They're still expecting to impose these penalties, they're still expecting to receive these penalties, but just not yet. And so this is something we will keep a close eye on, because obviously these are two of the most substantial cases currently working their way through the UK system. And as soon as we have any news of updates from the ICO, we will of course bring them to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. In an anticipated move, GPs, general practitioners across the UK, have been asked to share confidential coronavirus COVID-19 patient information with the government while ensuring that they adhere to GDPR, data protection regulations, but with a caveat as issued by the Department of Health of Within Reason. In a notice sent to all GP practices last week, the Department of Health and Social Care, DHSC, said that practices will need to process and share confidential patient information to support the Secretary of State's response to COVID-19. A separate notice issued by the DHSC to all practices in England, with IT systems supplied by TPP or EMIS, asked them to share consenting patients' data with the UK Biobank project. GPs must keep a record of all data processed under these notices, the DHSC added. The DHSC said in a statement, The health and care system is facing an unprecedented challenge and we want to ensure that health organisations, arms length bodies and local authorities are able to process and share the data they need to respond to coronavirus. 
for example, by treating and caring for patients and those at risk, managing the service and identifying patterns and risks. They went on to say, data controllers are still required to comply with relevant and appropriate data protection standards and to ensure within reason that they operate within statutory and regulatory boundaries. GPs must share information within the legal requirements set out under GDPR, which permit the use of health data under certain conditions such as public health and the care and treatment of patients, the DHSC added, and of course it would also fall under the vital interest clause of GDPR. Practices with IT systems supplied by TPP or EMIS must also instruct their supplier to release the data of patients who have consented to participate in the UK Biobank project to UK Biobank for purposes related to the outbreak of COVID-19, it said. The notice went on to say, as the COVID-19 situation worsens, it is likely that many presumed cases will not be tested, especially among the elderly, and many individuals will remain at home even when their symptoms are severe. Consequently, the ability of UK Biobank to be able to incorporate primary care data into its resource is likely to be of enormous value to obtain a more complete assessment of the determinants of COVID-19 outcomes. This is something we need to do now. The Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has endorsed the validity of UK Biobank's participant consent for the purpose of COVID-19 response and the request is fully consistent with GDPR. DHSC confirmed. The notices said that GPs should only process the confidential information when it is needed for a COVID ID 19 purpose and will be processed solely for that purpose. And to be clear, COVID ID 19 purposes include the monitoring and managing of the response to coronavirus by the government and healthcare bodies, including providing information to the public, identifying those with or at risk of coronavirus, including incidents of patient exposure and locating, contacting, screening, flagging and monitoring such patients, monitoring patient access to services and both need and capacity for wider care of patients and vulnerable groups, understanding trends and risks to public health so as to control and prevent the spread of coronavirus, delivering services such as fit notes, testing, recommendations to the most vulnerable to self-isolate and treatment, and research and planning. The notices will be reviewed and may be extended beyond the initial expiry date of 30th of September 2020, the DHSC added. Last week, the Oxford RCGP Research and Surveillance Centre contacted nearly 4,000 GDP practices, asking them to contribute patient data towards the study of the coronavirus pandemic. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. On Wednesday, the 8th of April, the European Commission called for a common EU approach towards the use of mobile apps and data in the fight against the coronavirus crisis that both increases the effectiveness of technological solutions while respecting citizens' rights and freedoms. You may remember, if you listened to last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, that we mentioned about actions that the UK government was already taking to develop an app which they were looking to release either just before or just after the decision is made to release the lockdown on the UK, which is currently in place. And of course, we wait to see on Thursday or Friday this week what the government's decision is on how long they're going to extend the lockdown, although I suspect that most of us believe they will extend the lockdown. It seems incredibly unlikely they will lift it. So, many member states across the EU have already begun to develop their own solutions, as I say, including the UK, 
with varying approaches towards transparency. The recommendation from the European Commission offers guidance towards adopting a common toolbox that focuses on two dimensions. The first of these is the pan-European coordinated approach for the use of mobile applications for empowering citizens to take effective and more targeted social distancing measures and for warning, preventing and contact tracing. And the second is a common approach for modelling and predicting the evolution of the virus through anonymised and aggregated mobile location data. The EU recommendation also sets out key principles for the use of apps and data with regard to data security and with respect to the EU fundamental rights such as privacy and data protection and of course that follows GDPR. The Commissioner for Justice, Didier Reinders, in a statement said Europe's data protection rules are the strongest in the world and they are fit also for this crisis, providing for exceptions and flexibility. He went on to say, we work closely with data protection authorities and will come forward with guidance on the privacy implications soon. The recommendation stipulates that the common toolbox approach to mobile apps should consist of the following. Firstly, specifications to ensure the effectiveness of mobile information, warning and tracing applications from a medical and technical point of view. Secondly, measures to avoid proliferation of incompatible applications, support requirements for interoperability and the promotion of common solutions. Thirdly, governance mechanisms to be applied by public health authorities and in cooperation with the European Centre for Disease Control. Fourthly, the identification of good practices and mechanisms for exchange of information on the functioning of the applications. And finally, sharing data with the relevant epidemiological public bodies, including aggregated data to ECDC. The toolbox will also focus on developing a common approach for modelling and predicting the evolution of the virus through anonymous and aggregated mobile location data. The aim is to analyse mobility patterns including the impact of confinement measures on the intensity of contacts and hence the risk of contamination. Appropriate safeguards must be put in place, such as pseudonymization, aggregation, encryption and decentralisation, all listed examples of best practice that public health authorities and research institutions should adhere to. The mention of decentralisation might refer to the current divided approach towards the use of mobile data on the continent. One coalition of EU researchers, led by institutions in Switzerland, France and Germany, is working on a project dubbed PPPPT, Pan-European Privacy Preserving Proximity Tracing, which you may remember we spoke about in last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And this approach broadly follows the approach taken by Singapore's Trace Together app. The coalition hopes its common approach will be incorporated into the development of COVID-19 mobile apps to limit risks. However, there's now a different group of researchers who are pioneering a decentralised method for achieving the same thing, and they've gone under the acronym of DP3T. This group argues that their approach is a better fit with GDPR because it doesn't require pseudonymized IDs to be processed by a centralized server. Instead, data processing and storage of an individual's risk profile, for example, is performed locally on the user's device. This is intended to minimize the likelihood of such a system being repurposed for criminal means, such as state-level surveillance of citizens. Today's recommendation from the EU Commission follows a proposal from the Data Protection Supervisor the EDPS on Monday for a pan-European COVID-19 mobile app European for tracking the virus that incorporates data protection by design. The European Data Protection Supervisor said the crisis will not be over in weeks. It will take months to fight it and years to recover. 
If we are so connected with each other, we will not be able to solve it with national tools only. The more European our answer, the better results we will gain. The general feel is that the EU project is much more transparent than the UK's approach which we discussed last week. We know that data protection law is technically not privacy legislation, but it's more like data processing and data transparency legislation. It's not impossible to follow the letter of the law, i.e. follow GDPR, but will it follow EU values? Despite the UK no longer being a member of the EU, the EU authorities have said that they are in close consultation with the UK authorities as well as those in the US, Latin America and New Zealand. EDPS said in a statement, EDPS is closely now working with our colleagues at national level to provide guidance on geolocation and other tracing tools in the context of the COVID-19 outbreak. Work is ongoing. For the UK's part, the developers of the UK app, being led by the NHS, say that the app is billed to be ready in a couple of weeks' time and is apparently not going to be mandatory to download. However, they would not give any further details at the present time. The European Commission has said that the toolbox for adopting a pan-European approach for COVID-19 mobile apps should be developed by the 15th of April. It's obviously a rapidly moving field and so we will probably no doubt come back to this in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Hammersmith Medicines Research Limited, a research company which is on standby to perform live trials of coronavirus vaccines, it's suffered a ransomware attack this week and as a result issued data breach notifications to its users and clients. The ransomware attack occurred on March 14th, 2020, when the maze ransomware operators stole data hosted on Hammersmith Medicines Research Network and then began to encrypt their computers. After the ransom was not paid, the maze operators published some of the stolen data on their news site on March 21st in a further attempt to extort Hammersmith Medicines Research into making a payment. At the time, Hammersmith Medical Research stated that they could not afford the ransom demand and that they wouldn't pay it even if they could. We have no intention of paying. I would rather you out of business than pay a ransom to these people, Malcolm Boyce, Managing Clinical Director and Doctor at Hammersmith Medical Research, said. According to Hammersmith Medical Research's data breach notification, the stolen records contained the personal information for volunteers whose surnames began with D, G, I or J. In the report, they said, We're very sorry to report that during the 21st to the 23rd of March 2020, criminals published on the website records from some of our volunteers' screening visits. The website is not visible on the public web, and those records have since been taken down. The records were for some of our volunteers with surnames dealing with D, G, I or J. The personal information exposed in the leaked documents included name, date of birth, identity documents, which could be a stand, passport, a national insurance card, driving licence and or visa documents, and a photograph of the person, health questionnaires, consent forms, information from the person's general practitioner, and some test results, including, in a few cases only, positive tests for HIV, hepatitis and drugs of abuse. Hammersmith Medical Research states that most of the government IDs that they have in their possession have since expired, but they warned potential victims that they should contact the issuing organisation to report the stolen IDs. Hammersmith Medical Research also recommends that victims contact CFAS, the UK's 
Fraud Prevention Service and apply for a protective registration, which alerts companies to take extra measures when opening financial accounts or services under the registrant's authority. The spread of COVID-19 has created a new wave of phishing and malware attacks with bad actors looking to use the pandemic as a lure. It's believed that over 4,000 domains have now been registered relating to coronavirus, out of which some 3% are malicious and an additional 5% are suspicious. Phishing campaigns include spoofing the domain of the World Health Organization. This, of course, comes as organisations are scrambling their IT infrastructure and deploying work-from-home policies to ensure business continuity, which is providing an opportunity for um, bad actors to attempt to attack employees using personal unmanaged devices to access confidential resources without any security purview, leaving organisations at a risk of data loss and breaches. The US Department of Defense, for its part, has issued a warning to remote workers to take security precautions and guard against potential threats. TripBot, a banking trojan, has particularly targeted Italy, a hotspot of course of COVID-19, with email spam campaigns. While the email subject line is in tune with the daily concerns and talks about precautions to be taken to prevent the spread of the virus, the attachment to the email is actually a malicious script to deliver a new TripBot variant. It is perhaps inevitable that bad actors are taking advantage of the COVID-19 situation and we will endeavour to keep you up to date with latest news on this in forthcoming episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. A new study by Privacy Affairs has found that Across Europe, more than 200 GDPR fines issued, uh, totaling some 144 million euros. These fines have been issued since GDPR was implemented in May 2018. A key finding of the report is that different national data protection authorities interpret the rules differently. The largest fine in Romania, 80,000 euros, was a similar offence to one that's seen other companies issued with several million euro fines, in other European countries. It should be said that these fines as well are only ones which have actually been imposed and paid and so ones like the British Airways and Marriott ones which we mentioned in the first article this week are not included in these figures and the same is true across other countries so do bear that in mind. But what the study found was that in total there were now 212 fines the total amount of the fines was €144,815,145, and the smallest fine had been €90 Euros imposed on a hospital in Hungary on November the 18th, 2019. So, if I run down the list of countries, and I say, bear in mind, these are only ones that have been paid so far. In first place is France, with €51,100,000. But bear in mind, 50 million euros of that was all in one fine to Google. Italy, 39,360,000 euros. Germany, 25,085,725 euros. Austria, 18,070,100 euros. Bulgaria, 3,198,460 euros. Spain, 1,882,670 euros. The Netherlands, 1,410,000 euros. Poland, 934,330 euros. Greece, 735,000 euros. And the UK, 320,000 euros. 
But as I say, you've got to add on to that, really, the British Airways and Marriott fines, which together will bring us up to right at the top of the table with something like 280 million euros. In terms of the actual number of fines, top of the table is Spain with 55 fines, Romania 22, Germany 21, Bulgaria 16, Hungary 14, the Czech Republic 11, Austria 8, Cyprus 8, Belgium 6 and Greece 6. It should be noted that not all of the countries supplied the number of fines, hence why the UK, for example, is not there. The Spanish State of Protection Authority has issued 55 fines to date, and these have ranged from €3,600 issued to Amador Recreativos for improper use of surveillance footage, to €75,000 issued to Vodafone Espana for a technical error resulting in invoices being sent to the wrong customer. The Romanian Data Protection Authority has issued 22 fines, ranging from €3,000 issued to Legal Company and Tax Hub SRL for failure to implement sufficient measures to ensure information security, to €80,000 issued to ING Bank NV for not implementing adequate technical measures to ensure the protection of personal data. It should be worth noting as well that eight sole traders have been find so it's not just companies that get fined it can be sole traders too and that's important to remember and the sole traders involve uh, an 11,000 euro fine issued to a soccer coach in Austria who was found to be secretly filming female players in the shower I somehow suspect there were other offences committed there as well 300 euros to a taxi driver in Austria for unlawful use of a dash cam 2,200 euros issued to a person in Austria for having unlawfully filmed public areas using their CCTV system. The system was found to have filmed parking lots, sidewalks and a garden of a nearby property. 800 euros to a person in Spain who created a fake profile of a female colleague on an erotic website. The profile contained the person's contact details and information of sexual nature. And 2,500 euros issued to a person in Germany who sent emails to several recipients where each could see the other recipient's email addresses. Now that last one I think is particularly interesting because it's something which in our training we always emphasise to people is that the most common data breach in our experience is including people's email addresses when you don't have permission to do so. But interesting to see that the German talks have actually now fined somebody €2,500 for doing so. So if you are still doing that, then please stop, because otherwise it could hurt your bank balance as well as your reputation. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you are a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you will remember that back in January, we brought you news of a data breach from the Cabinet Office which released their home addresses of celebrities and military figures named in the 2020 New Year's Honours list. As well as investigation by the ICO, the Cabinet Office commissioned Adrian Joseph to conduct a review of the department's handling of personal data, and he found that such breaches are too easily assigned to human error, where a great consistency of process controls and culture could have reduced the risk systematically. He added in his executive summary, there is a significant risk that further and more impactful breaches will occur as the amount of personal data being handled by the department increases. Mr Joseph added recommendations in his review, including confirmation of a new data strategy and refresh training, 
sought to offer protection in the system when it comes to dealing with personal data. Mr Joseph, whose position is listed as Managing Director Group AI and Data Solutions at British Telecom, observed good examples of processes and controls exist, but he said that inconsistent application and lack of monitoring limited the ability to protect against and respond to data breaches. The Cabinet Office has amassed more than 200 million emails, documents and other digital files since it first began storing such information 20 years ago. It also said that it is expected to increase by more than 50 million records a year, adding that not all of it will contain personal data, but these figures would be expected to increase. Data that the department handles includes HR responsibilities for almost 8,000 employees and, from April 2020, security vetting. This involves processing personal data, including on relationships, financial affairs and political beliefs, on a significant portion of the 250,000 people subjected to it. The Cabinet Office uses Google Drive as its standard platform for all official and official sensitive information within the department, which can include research, policy submissions and HR data. Teams seek to limit access to data to specific individuals, although the reports that such measures are often imposed too late, and are examples of personal data being accessible to whole teams of people. The review went on to state, growing volumes of orphan data and digital hoarding leave the department vulnerable to further breaches and weakens its ability to comply with freedom of information requests and public records requests. Turning specifically to the New Year's Honours breach, review said the offending details were online and accessible for approximately 40 minutes before the error was identified and the file was removed. It added the document was still available to those who knew the specific URL address for a further 2 hours and 30 minutes. The report said the Cabinet Office identified two main factors which contributed to the breach, including the introduction of a new IT software package and a lack of clarity about the sign-off process for the final version of online documents. Sir John Manzoni, Permanent Secretary for the Cabinet Office, said in response to the review, sharing personal data more quickly and more easily allows us to make better decisions about the services we offer and how we offer them, but doing so brings some risks that we need to mitigate against. Across the Cabinet Office, we recognise that we need to continue to handle personal data in ways that are appropriate, secure and protect privacy. Getting that right is not always easy, but it is vital for maintaining public trust. If we have any update on this from either the Cabinet Office or the ICO in future, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. VPN Mentor's research team recently discovered a breach database containing more than 135 million records. The database is believed to belong to cloud backup provider SOS Online Backup. SOS Online Backup is a secure cloud-based backup provider based in the US, offering personal and business packages to customers around the world. They have 12 data centers around the world, including in the US, Canada, Australia, United Kingdom, India, Ukraine and South Africa. A VPN mentor say that their team discovered the database in November 2019, analysed the database on December 9, 2019 and contacted SOS Online Backup on December 10th. While they didn't receive a reply from the company, the breach was closed around December 19, 2019. It's believed that the database exposed contain more than 133 million records, totaling almost 70 gigabytes of metadata related to user accounts on SOS Online Backup. 
This included structural, reference, descriptive and administrative metadata covering many aspects of SOS Online Backup's cloud services. Aside from metadata relating to SOS Online Backup, the database also contained personally identifiable information, data of their customers. The data included full names, email addresses, phone numbers, internal company details for corporate customers and account usernames. Due to the size of the database, there's potential that it affected SOS Online Backup users around the world, impacting their entire user base. By exposing so much metadata and user personally identifiable information, SOS Online Backup has made itself and its customers vulnerable to a wide range of attacks and fraud, warned VPN Mentor. As this database could have been a goldmine for cyber criminals and malicious actors with access to cloud storage highly sought after in the online criminal underworld. Finally, VPN Mentor says there is also potential for legal action from governments and regulatory bodies within countries that SOS Online operates. California, where the company is based, of course uses CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, and of course in the UK and the rest of Europe it falls under GDPR. Each of these eventualities would further damage SOS Online Backup's reputation, market share and revenue. We've approached SOS Online Backup for a statement but not received one as we've drawn to broadcast, but if we do receive one, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll remember that back in episodes 73 and 74, we brought you news of a data breach at Travelex, the money exchange company. Well, we have an update on that data breach now, and it appears that Travelex, in the end, did pay the hackers a ransom. They paid the hackers 2.3 million US dollars following the cyber attack on December the 31st, 2019, according to the Wall Street Journal. Travelettes was targeted by the Sardinavkib or Reveal ransomware. Travelettes consulted with experts and kept regulators and partners informed during the transaction, according to the report. There is an ongoing investigation and we will not be discussing this at this time, Travelettes spokesman said. When Travelettes was first hit, it took its websites down globally. To contain the spread of the virus, it took the company about a month to fully restore all of its websites. An investigation for a possible breach is still ongoing. In early January, the hacker group told Bleeping Computer that it had encrypted Travelettes' network and made copies of 5 gigabytes of personal data. If Travelettes didn't pay the ransom, they would publicly publish the data. Revel took note from other ransomware strains, namely Maze, publicly exposing encrypted data. The ransomware has top affiliates with G and Trab after it retired in May last year. The ransomware as a service model allows hackers to spread the virus any way they like, according to McAfee. When Sardinipib struck Travelex, the company was using insecure services reported bleeping computer. Pulse Secure VPN had a significant security patch issued last year. The vulnerability enabled remote connection to a corporate network without a username or password through the device with the VPN, according to the company's website. It's thought likely, therefore, that cyber criminals were lurking on Travelex's network well before initiating the ransomware. 
Revel started circulating in April 2019 and has since been behind cyber attacks on at least 23 Texas municipalities, 400 US dentist office and a managed service provider. When it hit an IT service provider for dentist offices in December, it inflicted more than 100 customers. Obviously, Travelettes had to have a degree of trust in the cyber criminals to pay the ransom, but economically it can be more feasible to pay a ransom than to pay for a complete rebuild. It's not yet known what action will be taken by the UK ICO, amongst others, against Travelettes for the data breach, and when we receive any updates on that, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Thanks for listening. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.